Was he on tour as well? He was in Alaska, yeah. For oh, like, wow. Both on the West Coast. That's got to be nice, yeah. though, because you both get it. So mm-hmm. the tour life, the creating music, it's not mm-hmm. a shock. Somebody's not upset. Oh, you're gone for a couple of weeks. Right. What's, what's happening <laughs> There's here? some negotiations about who gets to be gone for a couple of weeks. But yeah. That's cool. You guys kind of swap in and out. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you can go now. I'm going to take the next one. Yeah. We'll shift in and out. Yeah. How old is your kid? She's four. Four. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thanks. Is it, was it, I mean, with you both creating music, does that help the creative process? Where he kind of can play, do you guys play together? Or do you try to keep that separate? To both be musicians or to have, uh, both be yeah, musicians. in fact, we used to play, yeah, we used to play a lot together, but a little bit less now with the. Somebody's got to watch the kid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for doing this. I'm excited to talk yeah. with you. I was happy I found you. Yeah, this is great. Do you like, with this tour, you created this album this year? It released in April? It was released in April. Mm-hmm. So this is the West Coast leg of the tour. Is this yeah. primarily what you're going to be playing tonight? Mm-hmm. Is from this album? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you, when you're creating something like that, and culminating this album, specifically this one, I mean, your last one came out 2022? Mm-hmm. This one came out? Uh. Yeah, my last band album came out in 2018. So oh, wow. actually, I did a couple like tangential, like pandemic projects that came out in 21 and 22. But um, but the last one that is like kind of the sound that I have when I tour, the albums that I made in the pandemic aren't touring. There's like one was a Christmas album, which is kind of special, and then another was like a traditional Scottish fiddle tunes album. Was that to kind of just fill the creative need? Like mm-hmm. I just got to create something. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a little store crazy sitting at <laughs> home. Yeah. yeah. Is this another? Band album, this one? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is that with the current band that you have now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And who's playing with you tonight? So tonight it's Keith Murphy on guitar and Tristan Claridge on cello. And then Jana kind of swaps in and out. Jana Moynihan. Yeah. So. She, and she usually tours. She lives in Boston. So she tours on the East Coast with me. Okay. Tristan lives out here. Oh, really? Does mm-hmm. that make it a challenge? Does he go back East and play with you guys out there? No, just I just swap? have just for the tour. I just do the trio. So the album was all four. Um, but the trio is just for the tour. It's a little easier and yeah. Yeah, especially with being both coasts like that. Yeah, exactly. Able, make it yeah. a little more <laughs> yeah. nice logistically. Mm-hmm. This, so for people that don't know, you guys are, you started out in Oregon and you're working your way down to Northern California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where's the last stop of this tour? Um, the last stop is Berkeley at the Freight and Salvage. Have you played there before? I have. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is it, so you've hit Arcata before as well, you were just saying. Uh, yes, we just played Arcata last year. Last year. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't part of a tour. That was just a stop. It was, yeah, it wasn't really a tour. I was going up to Port Orford, where I'm from, to do um, this little fiddle camp that I started last year. It's like a weekend-long camp. And so I was with Keith Murphy again and Jenna Moynihan. They both came out to do the camp with me. And so we just did two shows, kind of just to... In fact, we were actually rehearsing for this album. So we, Tristan met us in Arcata and we did some rehearsing and he guessed it. He did a, like a guest spot with us at the Playhouse that night. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Mm-hmm. Was it, is it weird coming back post-COVID doing a tour? Has it changed pre-COVID or is it, it's still logistically, it's all the same stuff? Um, it's the same stuff. I think, you know, trying to figure out how to get people to come out and <laughs> I think people are a little bit more shy for many reasons about going out to like live events. Um, but it, it feels actually on the East Coast, people maybe were a little faster. The West Coast seems like a little like 
Not quite as fast to go out to big gatherings. Really? I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, I wouldn't have either, actually. Maybe it's because people are stacked <laughs> out there. So they're just like, we have to go out. Just Otherwise, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, so you're in Boston currently, mm-hmm. that's where you live? Yeah. When did you make the move out there? Um, I moved there in 1996 to go to college. And then just stayed. Mm-hmm. Loved it. You mm-hmm. went to Berkeley? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never yeah. looked back. Berkeley's uh, kind of a change from Port Orford. It is. Sidewise. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. just a little <laughs> bit different. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went in 1996 for Berkeley College of Music and I, the, the Celtic music scene is really great there. So just kept going, just, just stayed and kept playing. Um, I come, I come back here a lot and I think I sometimes get a little torn between the West Coast and the East Coast, my identity. But uh, I think I'm probably firmly planted in the Northeast now. <laughs> well, especially if you have a good music base out there and a good mm-hmm. music scene for your style yeah i would imagine that's helpful yeah the celtic music scene is probably one boston's one of the most thriving places in the whole u.s for scottish irish cape breton fiddle music did you have any of that influence in port orford yeah i um i did texas style fiddle first which is quite big in the northwest um and my fiddle teacher who lived in portland had gotten into scottish fiddle music so i I got some tunes from her and then met this fiddle player named Alistair Fraser through her. And I ended up uh, going to his camp on the Isle of Skye in Scotland and got connected with all that stuff. The rest is history. Yeah. (laughs) It was funny. I was reading an article about you in preparation for this. And it was that you went to a fiddle contest in Crescent City. And that was kind of your first big outing. And for people that know you think of Crescent City, I don't know if fiddle contest is kind of the first thing that comes to mind. I know. We were just passing it today, actually. We were driving down from Port Orford, and we passed the Del Norte County Fairgrounds, and I just pointed to Keith. I was like, there you go. There's, there's, that's where I cried in the parking lot because I came in last. <laughs> Did that discourage you at all doing that? No, actually, it was it was the opposite. I hadn't been to, I'd only, I'd just been doing like Suzuki-style violin, and I hadn't been around a lot of um, other people my age, Finley, so I went to this this contest and yes i was like kind of really sad that i didn't place or or you know didn't not only did i not place (laughs) i came in at the very end but like um but i just saw all these i was very inspired by all these other musicians my age like 11 and 12 year olds like playing phenomenally and um so i think it was a big inspiration and i met the woman who became my fiddle teacher she was there and uh, so I went to a camp of hers and yeah, it was kind of a turning point. Did you have to sell her and say, hey, I know I came in last, but I, I can do something. <laughs> I don't think she saw me. I don't think she saw me play. Okay. And in fact, um, she didn't, she wasn't my private teacher right away. We went to a camp of hers that was in Yonkala, Oregon, another tiny, tiny little town. Um, we went the, to that camp the next summer and then, and then we just had, my mom just asked her if she would give me private lessons so that was in portland she lived in portland so we drove like five and a half hours north to have lessons like four times a year yeah <laughs> what a drive yeah and would do a lesson for a couple hours i would imagine she'd give me like a two or three hour lesson like parents would drop me off they go like shopping because <laughs> you know when you live in these small towns that when you get to like portland or eugene or wherever you gotta they, you gotta, <laughs> yeah you gotta go to costco you gotta go to the mall like <laughs> yeah is that why you're still kind of attached to the camp aspect is mm-hmm. kind of well, giving back in that way? Yeah. And then Al- Alistair Fraser, this fiddle player that I met in Scotland, his camp on the, Isle Sky, on the Isle of Skye was just life-changing. Like it was like, you know, we stayed up all night playing tunes and dancing. And and so 
I think that I've just, I, I mean, I've never stopped going to camp since then. Like I teach, I started teaching at them when I was 20 and, um, yeah, I teach at like six camps now in the summer. <laughs> are there, is it an instrumental process where you guys are kind of teaching them how to play or just teaching them fundamentals? Um, for the most part, people all know how to play when they get there. It's all different ages. So some camps maybe have more kids, but still have adults. And then some camps really have more adults and less kids. And so, uh, but there are every so often there are some beginner classes, but for the most part, people know how to play and you're teaching them how to play like specifically a, a, a fiddle style. So like I'll be teaching Scottish fiddle music or contemporary Scottish fiddle music, like teaching a tune and teaching all the stuff that goes with it kind of just breaking it down for them mm -hmm. and your your initial start was classical music right Is that kind i of where mean you began? barely like i did suzuki violin for two years which is classical but it was such a short period of time i would say most of my training um like that would, would have been in the texas contest fiddle scene which is places a strong importance on technique like classical i would say scottish irish fiddle music like technique maybe as far as like intonation and bowing and shifting like that's not necessarily the the most important part it's like groove is really the most important part i'd say of celtic music um but because the texas fiddle style which is what i did first it's all contest based in the northwest at least not in texas <laughs> um it's really about trying to be play as perfect as you can which i think would be the equivalent of maybe growing up in the classical scene, just really focusing on trying to do some of those technical things. Is Texas, would that be bluegrass? I was trying to It's different, that. actually. Different. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. um, yeah, Texas, con like, so there's like Texas style fiddle, and then I say Texas contest fiddle. They're, they're both, they're similar, they're both the same thing, but I'd say that just Texas fiddle without the contest aspect is, would be loosely based on old time tunes, like Appalachian music, um, but it's kind of taken to an, a new level and, and a new style formed where, where people were kind of trying to make up variations on an old time tune. And so just like play the tune for a longer period of time and, and make up these pretty intricate variations. And then when it kind of entered the contest scene, these variations was like, who can be, who can play the coolest variations? Um, that's the, that's the part of the contest I really like. I think sometimes the contests just become about who can play this specific version as well as they can. And, that part's maybe less creative and almost just recreate the song. Yeah. And so I, I kind of like the in Texas, I haven't actually been to these contests, but I've heard <laughs> that the contests are a little different down there and people are really actually trying to improvise and like outplay each other in that way, which is, which is seems more fun and creative. Is that, does that creativity kind of lend itself to the Celtic style? Is it you're not, it's not as structured, I guess you would say? Yeah, I mean, the Celtic Celtic style, like Scottish fiddle music is really based around just playing tunes and play, putting them in medleys, which means more than one tune together. Like you could string like four tunes together. You play them each two or three times. Um, there's not, it doesn't have an improvisational um, history necessarily. And it's mostly melodic playing, um, but, and it's really for dancing. So like Celtic, you know, Scottish and Irish music, they have step dances that go with them and they have set dances like with people and um i think one thing i like to do in my music is maybe coming from some of that texas fiddles theme where we would make up variations to tunes I, I just compose a lot of music now in the scottish fiddle scene and so i find i'm able to kind of use some of those tools or some of that experience in the texas scene when i compose scottish fiddle tunes is it hard composing this kind of music 
where it is it's so heavily focused on the instrument as opposed to if you were creating like a pop song you could kind of lean on the vocals a little bit more mm. but you i mean it's you guys just playing it, no because i i think it's not hard. there's a strong strong tradition of tune writing in scottish music there's a lot of people um it's actually very thriving um scene like for there's some famous fiddle players liz carroll jerry holland um, that have written all these tunes that kind of become part of the traditional, like, repertoire. And so I think those people that came before me, i very inspired by their tune writing. And so then... They yeah. kind of paved the way for mm-hmm. you. Is it hard creating something new where there is such a rich history? That you're, you don't want to be the one that's kind of just <laughs> repurposing old tunes? I think that maybe the one thing that's hard sometimes is you want to, you know, you write something and then... You're like, oh, has that already been written? <laughs> you hear it and you're like, hmm, did I accidentally steal that from someone else? So, but you usually you can just change it if you figure it out in time. <laughs> that would be the challenge is yeah. figuring it out in time, right? You record it, you put yeah. it out, you start touring it, and then you're like, yeah. oh, maybe I did hear that portion mm. somewhere else. That would be challenging. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you've been creating, it's interesting that you've been doing this for so long. This is not your first rodeo. Your first album was 2003. Uh, is that right? It might have been 2001, 2001. The first album, yeah. That's a long time. It is a long time, yeah. When did you start touring? Probably right around then. Same time. Yeah. I did, um, so I would have just graduated from college then. Um, I was doing uh, some shows and stuff. I, and I used to come actually back home to Port Orford every year and do a concert with some friends of mine from Seattle. They would come down. So I'd kind of done one-off concerts but i think right around the time i graduated with with that new album that came out and then i also um back then i had a gig playing um as just a side fiddle player in a singer's band so i toured with an irish singer for like four or five years is that how most people start out is you're kind of playing you form up with a band and maybe you're just playing an instrument in it kind of get experience or yeah, I mean, I think as an instrumentalist, like, so I front a band now, but I'm still just playing, I'm not singing, I'm playing instrumental fiddle music, I think. Uh, but it was a nice thing to do to tour with somebody who was, you know, more experienced than I was and was like, she was already like famous and she, you know, she, so that, that was really great actually to get that experience of, of traveling and she was very good at managing her band. And, and so I think I took a lot of that when I started touring with my own band, I was like, oh, like Kathy did it this way and this way. Like this was, this was great. Like, so it was really nice. And also when you're starting out, you're not going to get like really great gigs. So it's nice to have a really great gig (laughs) playing for somebody else and, and, and to be able to kind of contribute in that way. And have a little stability. Mm -hmm. Did you find, I mean, uh, for somebody who's not obviously in a band or in that field, it seems like finding the right band would be the challenge is finding a group of people that you can kind of connect with and enjoy playing music with because you hear all these stories about great breakup bands and then it just <laughs> gets chaotic and everybody falls apart. Um, yeah, like, uh, well, I was at Berkeley and so fortunately I met some, You're surrounded met by some great musicians. Yeah, the band that I played with then is not actually who I'm playing with now, but, um, but it's based on that kind of sound. I, I met a cello player there um, and a guitar player who I played with a bunch and... Um, and then, yeah, we kind of like, you know, people just, I, I never really broke up with anyone. <laughs> we just had different projects and stuff. And then I met actually the guitar player that I play with now, Keith Murphy. I met maybe in 2004 as part of another group that we were both playing in. 
And um, yeah, we really hit it off. And then um, and then it's fun because Tristan is from out here. He's from just like up. He lives up on the Salmon River somewhere, somewhere west of here. <laughs> um, or sorry, east. This is I do this all the time now. I used to when I moved to the East Coast. <laughs> I forget that east is away from the ocean now again. This is you can tell that I've sorry, having identity yeah. problems here. Um, anyway, Tristan and I had grown up in the con the just the Texas fiddle scene a little bit together. He was a lot younger than I was, but it's been fun. He he only just started playing in my band um, in 2018. So um, that's newer, but it's but it's based on this sound that I had before. Is that how you're basing it off of the people that you're picking? Is it ability or is it more similar style and pursuit of that style? Uh, it would be all of those all things, of yeah. Obviously, you yeah. don't Tristan's brilliant, like he's a, yeah, so. Um, but we also like really gel well together stylistically which is probably 90% of it uh yeah it's all it's all in there <laughs> he he grew up what, around here is there a pretty good music scene of of fiddle playing here locally or in this area of Oregon, yeah, so Northern he, California he I grew up in the Texas style scene um I'm sure there's a great bluegrass scene too I don't I don't know as much about the bluegrass scene, but the contest scene, there's just, there's just Texas fiddle contests all over around here. Like there's, there's one in Red Bluff and in, I used to go to one in Redding, um, Crescent City. I went to one in like Canyonville, Oregon, and they're just kind of So you were over. hitting the scene for a while. The contest. Yeah, yeah, the contest scene. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a one and done. No, no, no. It's kind of like a thing. You go to like four or five contests a year and then the nationals are in Idaho. Um, and Tristan has won that several times on fiddle. He's playing cello in my band, but he's won the national um, fiddle contest like one thousand times or something. Like <laughs> he's pretty seasoned. Very seasoned. Is there is that a lucrative way to make money traveling from contest to contest, or is it just it pays for the contest and then you can go to the next one? Oh yeah, I guess. Well, so I didn't win the Texas contest that much, and I was really only a kid when I was doing it, so I wasn't really doing it. To make money, but I, but it's true. I think these days, yeah, you can make some money at it. I think ultimately, like doing concerts is a better, probably is a better thing. Yeah, yeah that's, that <laughs> seems like that would be the pursuit. Is okay. Yeah. Let's get to concerts when we can yeah. do that. Yeah. Then you also competed in some some Scottish mm-hmm. festivals or contests. Mm-hmm. Was that yeah. in the states? Yeah, those are all in the states. Um, yep. Pretty okay. similar scene to the Texas actually fiddle. very different scene. Um, not as competitive, um, not as many people, actually. This, I think there's a strong, within the Texas fiddle community, there's a strong um, community of content. Like, the contest is a major component of Texas-style fiddling. Um, Scottish music, there's many Scottish fiddle players who have never competed. So it's not, it's just kind of this other thing that is also there. And I won um, one in Oregon, and then... Uh, and then I flew to the East Coast and I went, so I won the National Junior Contest. But for like comparison, when I won the National Junior Contest, there were like eight people I was competing against. They had all been invited because you had to like win a regional. But the Texas Fiddle, there's like 80 people and like they have five rounds, you know, four rounds and they cut a bunch of people the first round. And there's judges, there's like five judges sitting in another room. They throw out the high and the low scores. Scottish, there's like three judges sitting right in front of you. Like, so, yeah, it's just a very different scene. Different feeling. Different feeling. L- mm-hmm. little, it seems like it'd be a little less pressure. It is less pressure. There's something about, at least for me, playing 
and looking at the judges that actually felt more comfortable than like playing for people that were like sitting in another room. I think maybe because ultimately I kind of like performing and I like interacting with people. And so, you know, when they're sitting in another room, you're just, they're just, they're only listening and you have to play perfect. And I never, let's just, you'll, if anyone's ever heard me, they know that I don't play perfect. So <laughs> well, yeah, then that you is have not the, my strength. <laughs> you have the buildup of you can't see them and that means you can't feel their expressions. So if they're, if you're playing to just. Yeah. You're just trying to, slate, you're just trying to nail it. <laughs> yeah. I would. Yeah. That would. And I like nail it like me. 50% of the time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I could do that. That would not be. That, obviously that's why I'm doing this and not play music. Is the <laughs> idea of performing in front of judges would be. Yeah. Slightly challenging. Mm. How, when did you get out of that scene? Was that when you went to college? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I stopped competing Texas fiddle when I was 18. I came back one time to the Nationals in Idaho when I was like 30 or 29 just for fun. Because it's actually a really fun scene there. People like camp all night and they jam. And there's actually, there is some blue, there is a lot of blue. The bluegrass is more like the jamming scene and stuff. And so a lot of Texas fiddle players do play bluegrass as well. Um, but anyway, I went back and I like, didn't even make the cut. This was like after like 10 years of being a professional musician. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. I'm done. I, like, I don't need this. My name is not on there. <laughs> was that a weird feeling where you are, where you were a professional at that time? You're like, oh, no, this is. No, because it's such a specific thing, Texas Fiddle, and I hadn't played it for 10 years. So it totally, it wouldn't have made sense if I, like, I've, I've gotten, I've gotten so into the Celtic scene. Um, I did not feel bad. That I I did not make the cut. <laughs> Unlike that when I was ten and I was at the Del Norte County Fairground parking lot when I was like sobbing. <laughs> well, yeah, you have a little more experience in your belt too. Yeah, for a kid getting yes. crushed like that is a little rough, especially your first one. Mm. You're going like, okay, yeah, we're gonna give this a shot. Yeah, and then you just get. I mean, I down. played like there's this tune called "Boil Them Cabbage Down" that's just like two notes, and like the kid who won played like one of the hardest tunes like you know was <laughs> there was no contest <laughs> you were just there for the experience mm. so I'm gonna, let's go to crescent city for the day yeah why why specifically this scottish style what is it about that that really attracted you i think when i went to sky for the first time um there were a couple things like people were just dancing all night which was it was so fun and so amazing and they were having such a good time and like I kind of will describe this scene sometimes where people were like doing this dance called strip the willow where you like kind of like turn your partner, you turn your center person. And then, and people were just like almost getting flung across like <laughs> there's like this old stone barn and it was like so dangerous, but also so fun. Um, and then like, you know, people would be dancing and then they'd just start jamming and then maybe there'd be a moment someone would turn out the lights and someone would just be like, we're going to sing a song. And then someone would sing some beautiful song in Gaelic. Like, and you just be like crying because it was like so gorgeous. And I think it's maybe a little bit more like my personality that's like kind of like just like really fun or just like, like having just really being feeling deeply. And so I, I felt that Scottish music, I was able to like feel deeply, you know, one way or another, feel deeply with joy or with sadness or whatever. And yeah. It had that more expressive mm-hmm. performance aspect, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's what I think of when I think of Scottish music as like a dance or a festival mm-hmm. or some celebration, whereas you don't necessarily think of that when you're thinking classical specifically. It's like, okay, it's a little more, I don't know if you would say emotional with like attitude. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously classical music is very emotional too, but it's, yeah, it's not as groove based. 
I think there's some types of classical music, like the Baroque style has is centered around dances and dancing, but most of the most of the classical scene is not about dancing. It's really about like the performance and the and the you know the orchestration or the arrangement or whatever. Do you have any family ties to Scotland or anything like that? Like a little bit, uh, like a great grand. I have a great grandmother who was born in Scotland, <laughs> but everything else is like German, English, Danish. <laughs> And your mom is the tie to music, right? She was mm-hmm. music teacher. My mom's a retired music teacher. Mm-hmm. She was the piano teacher in our town for a long time, and then she actually taught like K through eight general music. Um, and yeah, she was my music teacher in school. Is she kind of was she surprised at all to kind of see your evolution throughout the years of this? Uh, I don't think surprised. I think it was nice, like because she went to the contest with me, and like. Yeah, we did a lot of, she went, she went to Scotland with me and she took like the step dancing class while I took the Scottish <laughs> fiddle class. And it was great because she was able to bring that stuff back to our school. And like she taught a bunch of kids to step dance in Port Orford, Oregon. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Adding a little culture up there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Where has been your favorite place to travel to? Because you've been on all over the world doing this. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I mean, yeah, I have some favorite places in the world, but I was... Definitely like proud. I was telling Keith and Tristan yesterday, I was like, Battle Rock Beach in Port Orford, Oregon is the most beautiful beach in the whole world. <laughs> um, so I always love coming home because it's so beautiful there. Um, but I'd say I spent a long time in Shanghai, China, um, and that has been one of my favorite places. Uh, I actually ended up living there for three months. I went over because a friend lived over there and I played a, a few shows. I actually ended up playing bluegrass. At a, I got a bluegrass gig at a bar just because I was like American. And, you know, <laughs> I was playing with this inner Mongolian mandolin player. We had this little band. Um, anyway, I, I love China. I love the people over there. I love the food. And I studied Chinese for three months. And um, so that was one of my most favorite places. Was that just a detour? You went over there for a concert and then wanted to stay? Or? Yeah, I went over just for like a couple weeks because of this friend, she invited me over to, to play a concert. And then I liked it so much that I kind of just made time every spring to go there for a couple of weeks. And it wasn't even really like, I wasn't really paying, you know, making enough money to even pay for my flight. It was almost kind of like this retreat. It, it's weird because people usually go on like a retreat to the woods or something. Now <laughs> I went to one of the biggest cities in the whole world. Um, but there was something... There was something really nice, actually, about just, like, kind of living in this very, very foreign country for a few weeks every year. And then finally, in 2011, I went and lived there for three months. And I'd say it's one of my favorite phases of life. It just really kind of reset me and, like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> Were you looking for kind of a a break or just, like, a moment to decompress? Yeah, I think just... I had actually been in in 2011. I had been touring a lot, and I actually um, just put kind of a pause on some gigs. And I I studied Chinese every morning, and I like I was like taking walks every. I don't know. I just was kind of I was playing music a little bit, but for the most part, I was kind of living like a life with like a routine, and and then also like going out karaoke all the time with friends, and like it's just it, you know what? Is I I've never lived in New York City, and I think maybe. Maybe everyone at some point in their life should just live in like a huge major city. Like Shanghai is like in, is three times as big as New York City. So it's just like there's like a hustle and a bustle. Like it just uh, was very exciting. And and the kind of I was I had made friends with a lot of other foreigners who lived there. So everyone's kind of like 
ready to go. Like they just want to do stuff and like have fun. And like, it was a good time of my life to do that. And, and then I felt maybe a little bit more grounded when I got back to Boston and, and was able, you know, start touring again. And like, yeah. There's something romantic about the idea of getting lost in a big city. Yeah. About just like mm. blending in with the crowd. And going well, to this I place didn't, where, I did not blend in. <laughs> well, that's true, right? You probably stood out over there. Um, yeah, that was fun. I feel like most masses. of my life, I I do blend in, and uh, China is one place that, and it was so funny because I would, you know, I'd want to try speaking my Chinese, that it, and no one would speak to me in Chinese. Like they would all like, they're like they there's wanted English. no way this she knows any Chinese. I mean, I didn't know much, but <laughs> well, Mandarin's a hard language. To le- that's what you were studying. Mm-hmm. That's a hard language to learn. Yeah, it's hard. So they were just like, okay, let's go. I mean, English. they probably couldn't understand me when I tried talking anymore. Like. You know, like saying it really slow. <laughs> like, yeah. Did they speak a lot of English in Shanghai? Um, uh, enough to get around. No, people do not speak much English there. Um, but I was hanging out with a lot of people who were either Chinese American or or people who did speak. A couple of musician friends of mine who are Chinese, and they live they've lived their whole lives there, but they've been around a lot of foreigners. So they spoke some English um so it but it but it wouldn't be like Europe or something where like people speak English as you know as well as we do <laughs> yeah um but I I learned enough Chinese to be able to get around like I could talk to cab drivers and I could like buy stuff and I could order food and things like that by day to day yeah it was there. all like very basic things but I and I knew I I started learning the city really well and uh, uh, my my section of the city I, I knew very well so you know, if the cab driver started going the wrong way, I'd be like, right turn. Okay, yeah, <laughs> Stop <course>. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And were you practicing at that time or you weren't really doing a lot musically? Um, I, w- I brought my fiddle and I was practicing. I would say I was not doing as much musically that that section of time then. Um, but I still wrote some tunes. And then I think actually the maybe the more exciting thing was that when I got back, I was feeling very inspired and I wrote tons of music when I got back. So I actually made an album um, after that trip called Dot the Dragon's Eyes, which is actually a Chinese. um, It's like a proverb. It's Hua Long Dian Jing is how you say it in Chinese. And it comes from the story of an artist painting the picture of a dragon. And the last thing he does is dot the dragon's eyes. And when he does that, the whole thing comes to life. And I, that story just felt kind of resonated with, it's like, you know, you write music and you do, you do whatever you do in life, but it's actually like this like tiny final thing that you have to do to actually like breathe life into something, whether it's music or art or a book or whatever. That's an interesting concept. It's like you, you have to dot your eyes at the end. Otherwise it, it's not finished yet. <laughs> yeah. What was the decision to finally come back at the end of those three months? Was it just mm, a feeling I just, you were ready? I, I said that when I went, like, the, the course was actually five months, but I had, I think I had a festival in Australia. I had something that I could not get out of. Um, so I came home. I think I had a concert in Boston. I came home and did that, and then I immediately flew to Australia for a, a folk festival, um, which was, like, back and forth. <laughs> and a big culture shift bouncing around like that to go yeah. from China and then come back and go to Australia. Yeah. Australia, I would have to say, out of all of my traveling, it has the least cultural shift to America, even less than like England. I feel like Australians are just kind of like sarcastic and kind of, you know, making fun of each other all the time. It feels very, 
It doesn't feel American, but it feels like <laughs> sympathetic. You know? like yeah, cousins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cousins to America. Exactly. Like, okay. Yeah. Huh. I mean, what a great way to travel, though, is it's just playing music. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, um, where do I want to go now? How do you book your tours for that when you're going to go overseas? Is it where you want to go or where people want when you I to go? When I go overseas, it's just because someone's asked me to come over there. Like, I haven't actually done huge tours. I've basically just flown places for a festival and then maybe added on a couple gigs. Or I do get asked to fly place, like to do like teach at a camp or something, like a workshop, like a week-long workshop. Do you enjoy doing the... Is there a difference between the workshops and, and going out there to just do a concert in terms of how long you're staying? Yeah, I mean, the reason I like going somewhere to do a camp slash workshop is that you're in the same place for a week and you're kind of hanging out with one group of people for a week, which is a really nice way to learn about, you know, a, another country. It's kind of like if someone came here and they came to Northern California and they hung out with a bunch of folk musicians for like seven days, that would be like just a really nice cross-section of like you know americans like so i think i teach at a camp every year in germany um i've taught in india i've taught in australia i've taught in switzerland so like yeah it's just it's just a nice way to connect with people i think it's really cool that you still do the teaching aspect Mm -hmm. i think that's that's a great way to kind of connect especially with people who are still progressing through it Mm. yeah there's just a nice vibe at these camps where you kind of, um, you know, you learn, you learn, teach during the day, but then you have all this nice community time. You eat together, you jam together, um, you dance together. That's just, yeah, it's fun. Are you pulling stuff from those experiences that you kind of apply to your albums as well? Almost like the same with the China yeah. situation? Yeah. The, actually, one year after going to New Zealand, I, um, I wrote a bunch of tunes and one of them, you know, had... I kind of arrived in New Zealand for the first time and I was just like, kind of like, it's like beautiful. And I was looking around and I like, this, this person from the camp picked me up and I was like, I'm so glad I'm here. I really want to see a kangaroo. And she just looked at me. And she's like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> there is no kangaroos in New Zealand. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I don't know that. You know, so I wrote this tune actually, the, the camp I was going to is called Shizif, S-H-I-S-S-F, Southern Hemisphere International School of Scottish Fiddle. And I wrote this tune called The Shizif Kangaroo. Um, so, and it just kind of reminds me of that, that car pickup where I like embarrassed myself. Take me to the kangaroos. <laughs> yeah. They're probably used to that though. They I'm are. Writing. And I think that's what makes it worse. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> we are not Australia. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of little moments like that and connections with people. It seems like that is just part of the process is you almost have to live experiences so that you can pull them into your music. Because if you're not doing anything, you're not traveling, you're not experiencing something new, how do you find something to write about? Yeah, I mean, there's been sections of my life where I've, where I've done it. I've, gr- I've drawn inspiration from traveling, but I think you can also, like I had a child like four years ago, like, and, you know, and even just, you know, having people in my life, like people that get married or people out of a kid, but kid or whatever, like I think these are all, just life experiences. Life experiences that you can still draw from. And then sometimes I'm just like practicing a lot and playing a lot of traditional tunes that have already been written. And then I'm like, oh, I need to write a new tune that kind of sounds like this tradition. You know, you can kind of, you can get inspired just by playing too. It doesn't have to be some thing that, that you go through or that you do or whatever. How do you build up your, your song? Are you starting with just a riff and then... <laughs> 
kind of honing that and seeing where that goes? Uh, I there's different there's different ways. Sometimes I'll play the piano and I'll sing the tune, and sometimes I'll just be jamming. Maybe I'll write the ending first. Um, I often will record like in a voice memo, and um, and then I'll just kind of go back. Maybe I'll just play for a while, and then I'll go back and be like, oh, that sucks. That's oh, that's good. You know, like whatever. Like so, there's a lot of different processes, and there different tunes have different journeys. When you're recording into your phone, are you, you kind of humming the tune into that or you're actually playing into your phone? I'll do both. I think I'm humming if I'm playing the piano because sometimes that would be a more chord-based tune that I might write where I'm actually like playing chords and singing the melody. But the ones that I write on the fiddle would be more kind of melody-driven. Okay, well, Hanukkah, thanks for coming on and, and chatting with me. Yeah. Do you want to plug your show tonight where people yeah. can find you, your next few shows? Anything else you want to add? Yeah, um, we're playing, as I was saying, this is our fourth show. We're playing at the Arcata Playhouse tonight at 7 p.m. I love this venue. I've played here like, I don't know, 10 times or something. There's a good, actually, there's a bunch of fiddle camp friends <laughs> that live in Humboldt County. So hoping to see some of them uh, tonight. That So yeah, that's tonight at 7 p.m. with Keith Murphy and Tristan Claridge. And then uh, we're doing a couple house concerts. We're doing a house concert in Santa Rosa tomorrow night. And then we're playing the Nevada Theater in Nevada City um, on Wednesday. And then we're playing the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley, California on Thursday. And the Berkeley one, that rounds out the tour for you guys. Mm -hmm. And then you're heading back to Boston? I'm actually driving back to Port Orford. Um, I'm doing a little fiddle camp, very like a mini camp um, this week, next weekend in Port Orford. Um, And then I will fly uh, back after that <laughs> and if people want to sign up for the camp can they still the camp is actually sold out it's full. full oh good yeah but um yeah okay that one's awesome. full <laughs> well thank you Hanukkah thanks for doing yeah, this yeah thanks for having me